So I study who matters in society, why some people are viewed as more legit than others, and I'm very interested as a sociologist in understanding why some people are given more status or given more recognition than others. But the key question is really, how can we broaden the circle of those who receive recognition? And I think that by studying recognition, we can really get hope. And especially once we understand that recognition is produced by all of us on a daily basis by the choices that we make and by the values that we teach our kids. But we're not doing this by ourselves. We are surrounded by institutions and cultural tools that we mobilize to make sense of the world. And these institutions and cultural tools are created by human beings, by many people, and uh, they enable the transformation. So it's very important that we structure our environment in a way that it makes recognition more easily achievable. So one person who creates such tools is Joyce Holloway, who is the creator of the show Transparent, which depicts a, a, a advanced middle-aged man who becomes a trans woman. And then she negotiates this new identity with her adult children. So I interviewed Holloway. Let's listen. If you think about how your work has influenced the direction of what's happening in Hollywood now, I mean, there's not many shows that have trans people, you know. So how do you think about things changing? Or Yeah, I do, I do see a lot changing right now. I, I do see a lot of things sort of like transparent out there. And yesterday I was on a phone call with some philanthropists and some activists and some writers where we were all talking about the political power of protagonism and the creating of your own propaganda because you're making more people like you. And so we need to make a world where people focus on, you know, love for the other rather than ridiculing the other. So Soloway, who goes by uh, the pronoun they, uh, explained that uh, the show was created to really uh, make uh, trans people uh, more understandable, less abhorrent, especially for those who just don't get it. So what they do with their work is to produce recognition. So let's define recognition, which is uh, the key concept in this uh, talk today, uh, as the social act by which uh, the positive uh, social work of an individual or group is affirmed or acknowledged by others. The uh, counterpart is stigmatization, which is the process that consists in qualifying negatively uh, identities and differences. So both stigmatization and recognition feed into who matters. And this is something that's happening on an ongoing basis as we lead our lives. It's a social process, but we're not doing it by ourselves again. We do it through an uh, institution. And it's uh, very important to um, study this today because we live in a mo moment where there's been a plethora of uh, social movements, uh, many, many people are doing what we call recognition claims. They want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to feel that they belong. So we've had mobilization across the world, Black Lives Matter, Me Too, in Europe, the Romas, the Muslim, in India, the farmers' mobilization. So uh, these movements have become even more prominent now as inequality is growing. At the other end of the political spectrum, we have Make America Great Again, uh, which is a slogan uh, embraced by uh, working class men, often white working class men, who feel that 
they have fallen down in the status hierarchy, and they also feel a need for recognition. So we need to acknowledge that this need is expressed at both ends of the political spectrum. In some ways, it's a similar human need that is being recognized. In order to understand this better, I wrote a book titled The Dignity of Working Man, which is really based on interviews I did with workers in France and the U.S. So in the U.S., I interviewed many white and black working class men, and in France, white and North African immigrants. And my question was really about What are the tools? How do they understand their own self-worth in a context where these societies increasingly celebrate college-educated professionals and managers? So what I found in my interviews is that they really use morality as a way to define themselves as worthy and respectable. They say that they are survivors who pay their bills even if Uh, they don't have much money. They try to keep their kids in school out of trouble. They are very hardworking, and they define themselves as self-reliant. And there, they often define themselves in opposition to other groups that they perceive as less self-reliant. So for white workers, it's often they define themselves as having a disciplined self. And in the book, I argue that for African-Americans, the emphasis is more on the caring self, that they are in touch with the human thing. In France, you have a very different pattern where the main enemy are Muslims, and until very recently, blacks and low-income people were very much included as a part of us that we need to protect and defend. Things are changing very rapidly there. And these boundaries have deepened with the enormous growth in inequality that we have experienced. And we know, for instance, that in the U.S., fewer and fewer people can live the American dream. This is devastating, especially for young people who... Uh, don't have any hope, who know that they don't know where to go. So we interviewed them, and my students and I, when we found that for many of them, the new dream is about inclusion and diversity. They are redefining what the dreams uh, are about. And we also did interviews with a lot of other agents of change, people like Soloway, people who are really working toward transforming and growing inclusion. So, for instance, interviews with uh, queer and black photographers. And when I asked them what kind of work they're trying, what motivates them, uh, the themes that kept coming back is, I want to depict us in a way that is humanizing, dignified. I want to depict them the way they would like to be represented in a more multidimensional way. And we also did interviews with funders who play a very important role because they are scaling up narratives. There's alliances that are created between uh, many creators of new narratives and these funders who are legitimating new discourse. So the Ford Foundation, for instance, which is a leader in this field, has funded a lot of organizations. So, for instance, the National Domestic Workers Alliance, which was behind the film Uh, Roma, uh, Oscar-winning film that presented uh, domestic workers uh, with, uh, in a three-dimensional way, humanizing them, showing them as, you know, lovers, mothers, etc. A little bit like the film Made, that is uh, the series Made, that is now playing uh, on Netflix, if you've seen it. In another paper, we try to uh, understand how is it that some groups are able to transform their stigma, become more recognized, and others aren't. One of them is the obese, who remain extremely stigmatized, not only in the U.S., but elsewhere. Many people think that uh, there's something wrong with them, like they're lazy, they're self-indulgent, and 
that has not changed very much. The very successful group is people who live with HIV AIDS. Those of us who are old enough remember that in the 1980s, many people were extremely scared of AIDS. It was a deeply stigmatized identity. It was associated with sexual promiscuity and with drugs, and not anymore. Now, largely, they are viewed as fine. So when we looked at the literature to try to understand why, we found that people with HIV-AIDS were able to develop a very large network of allies, which included knowledge workers of all sorts, legal experts, medical experts, social scientists, who said, well, anyone can have AIDS. So they removed blame, and that contributed to reframing. The obese didn't have that. The role of genetics was, as it's not been uh, very central to how people think about people who are labeled obese. So we came up with a model where we say, well, basically, uh, these knowledge workers, the social movements, have been able to make alliances to transform the meaning of these groups, but they did that by uh, drawing on the cultural resources that surround us. So this is very important. The basic idea here is that, whereas psychologists today are emphasizing a lot the importance of pro-social attitudes, and many people are talking about empathy, my take here is that this is important, but even more important, I think, is to construct an environment around us that gives us the tool that we need that make it easier to not diss certain groups. We need to be able to be surrounded by tools that we can mobilize uh, when needed. So it's not about human nature. Many, many people now talk about how we're hardwired. Personally, I think we don't know anything about human nature. Most of what people say about human nature is pure speculation. Not because we say, you know, we are hardwired as. It, does, it doesn't mean anything to me. So, um, so thank you. So at the end of the day, we, we really need to think about how to move forward. And uh, because my message is also one of hope, I think because at the end of the day, it's about how we as human beings get mobilized to change things, right? In the current book that I'm writing, which is precisely on how we redefine worth, we interviewed the, in our interviews with Gen Zs, uh, we found that middle-class youth were much more likely to say kindness will change the world, being empathic will change the world. The working-class youth say no, we've experienced inequality for decades. My family has gone through hell. Uh, it's about, it's a power struggle. You, we need to redefine how the world works. And this is partly where the criticism of the cancel culture comes from, different style of thinking about social change. So recognition really matters to the extent that it often produces inequality. So think about LBGTQ youth whose parents may just throw them out of the house, they end up homeless. This is a case where stigmatization creates material inequality. We need to think more about this. It's not only about feeling good, it's also about the ways in which stigmatization affects our well-being. Think about uh, the many people who've been victim of the opioid epidemic, which is tied to their loss of status. Think about the high incidence of COVID among African Americans due to the uh, you know, wear and tear that comes with living with racism every day, which, uh, you know, creates preconditions. Stigmatization is also bad for, for all of us to the extent that living in a society of indifference, where many people are not treated as human beings, is, is uh, bad for everyone. I think it feeds hopelessness. 
our children when they see homeless people in the street. I mean, it's an issue that we all need to take very seriously. So, of course, then, we need to ask ourselves what is to be done. So I'll conclude with a few comments on this. We can look at what has changed. So uh, what can politicians do to help with social change? Same-sex marriage law, uh, as soon as it was passed in 32 states, had an immediate effect on the number of LGBTQ youth who attempted suicide in high school. The law told them, you're worthy, you belong. So uh, uh, all laws, uh, all policies have an implicit message about the worthiness of the recipients. And I would really encourage policymakers to give this some thought. Also, politicians and policymakers contribute to shaping collective identity. So uh, I'm Canadian. When I say that, there's an immediate shift because people have very different associations when they think I'm French and when I, they think I'm Canadian. <laughs> Pay attention to this. So uh, it's like, suddenly I'm a new person, right? Uh, <laughs> because I study it from the perspective of a group that has been historically stigmatized, which is interesting. No one thinks it's the case, but it is. So where am I going? Oh, yes. So when I was young, Pierre-Elliott Trudeau, the father of Justin, who was then prime minister, declared he wanted to deal with the tension between French and English Canadians when French Canadians were fighting against colonization. Let's use the word. And um, he declared that the country was a multinational country. Everyone was very cynical, but it really influenced how immigrants are received in Canada today with many more resources put at their disposal in terms of learning language. I think it made the Canadian society a tiny bit more solidaristic uh, than the U.S. Let's then address uh, the question of what citizens can do. Well, this can be a little bit more controversial, But we make choices every day in, for instance, where we send our kids to school. I live in Brookline, Massachusetts, which has excellent school. Many people send their kids to private school. They engage in what social scientists call opportunity hoarding. They're very nervous about the future of their kids, so they just want to give their kids all advantages. Well, one thing we know is over the last decade, enormous increase in the extent to which there's class segregation in the U.S., Fewer and fewer working-class people and middle-class people interact in the workplace, in neighborhoods, in schools, etc. We are all feeding this on a daily basis. So we need to give this serious choice when we make decisions about where to uh, send our kids to school, for instance. So this is an example of engineering institutions and policies that make a difference. And then we also need to engage in more conversation about uh, Uh, our collective solidarity. So those of us who have uh, Gen Zs or millennials as children will certainly recognize that uh, these groups are constantly uh, trying to train boomers to be more inclusive, right? We've all experienced it. Uh, often the focus is on gender or, or sexual or ethno-racial identity. Class is often not on the agenda. So I would say, yes, please continue. The boomers need it. But you need to broaden the agenda even more. In conclusion, I would say, you know, a new world is possible, a world where more people have dignity. We are doing it already, but of course, much more is needed. And what I've tried to do here is to, you know, let, let's think together about exactly how this works and what we can do to very systematically feed a, a broadening of who matters in society as a whole. So let's do it. Thank you.
Thank you so much.